Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and I'm here with a guest as sort of a redo because, uh, as you may have heard, our our what was supposed to be a panel podcast with three guests um, ended up having two for most of the interviews because um, it, there were some technical difficulties uh, on our guests' end. So we have Heather Prendergast here to continue where we left off with the conversation about tech, technician retention, and I'm really excited that we could do this. Heather's in a hotel room um, with some technical difficulties even, like, for this, even though they're not the same technical difficulties. Heather, uh, welcome back. Thank you so much for doing this and Thank for you. doing everything you can. I so I appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad that I can be here. Yeah, sometimes the universe just says, like, are you sure you want to record a podcast? And you just have to decide if you do or not. And I'm really glad that you did. <laughs> so um, today, I'd like to pick up where we left off. Um, if you... You had given your your brief bio at the beginning of that interview, but in case people listening haven't heard it, would you mind just saying a few words about yourself and what you're doing right now and how you came to be here? Absolutely. So my name is Heather Prendergast. I'm a credential technician, a certified veterinary practice manager, and also have my certification in human resources. And I've been in this veterinary industry my whole life uh, since I was young, and uh, so this is my passion and. Uh, so many times that's often what I'm told is it's that passion that um, that continues to drive me and gets others excited about this. And I think through my journey, one of the biggest things that I've learned about in, in keeping our, our team members, and this was in my own hospital when I was in there and as I'm consulting now, is it is it's about culture and leadership and creating that great culture in hospitals to keep people happy, to make a great place to work and uh, building the skills that they have and finding their strengths. And so I think that has really driven me and that really drives a lot of what I do in consulting. Of course, I can look at all those other metrics too and make those things um, happen, but um, everything everything happens when you have a great culture. Well, that's so apt that you say that because although you, um, you were gone before we really got into the meat of the conversation the other day, um, with Liz Houston and Natalie Busico, um, we, we ended up really talking about one theme throughout the entire conversation. I asked them the big question, which is, you know, we're all short staffed and the biggest problem seems to be finding and keeping credential technicians. I mean, it's just so hard. And as we know, the, the burnout rate for credentialed techs is so high and so fast, um, you know, that average of five years in practice before they leave or burn out is really um, pretty sad. And we ended up talking about culture a lot and yes. specifically leadership. Um, we talked about that a lot, too, and how leaders really need to set the culture. So just right off the bat, do you have, um, you know, thoughts on whether there are other elements that we need to address first, or whether it really does start with leadership and culture um, before we really worry about like where the technicians are hiding and what we need to do like yesterday to keep them from leaving. Absolutely. So I think a couple different components is we also talk about technician utilization and making sure that our credential technicians are utilized to their fullest capacity. 
and yeah. that that should fill their cup and give them a sense of purpose in the hospital. But even if we are being able to utilize all of our skills, but we don't have a safe place to work or feel comfortable or feel like we're contributing to the goals of the overall practice, we're still going to leave. So it's it's a component of, of leadership, creating that culture, creating that safe space, creating a collaborative unit in which technicians and doctors communicate and provide the best patient care together. And when you create that dynamic environment for the, the, the credential technicians, they're not going to leave. But if they're only being utilized and you don't have that safe place and where they feel like they have that sense of purpose, they are going to leave and go someplace else and try a different culture. And I'm, I'm, you know, I can look at the number of hospitals that I work with and finding a great culture and having a great leadership team, it can be difficult because we come into this profession, all of us, whether we are really practice managers, veterinarians, technicians, and we come in for the animals, we never think about the people aspect. And while we have the client aspect, when we come in as veterinarians and practice managers and we're going to be leaders of, of technicians or assistants, we have to have the people side of that as well and be and care about our people and grow our people to their fullest capacity, find out what their strengths are, what their passions are, and harness on those areas and, and put them in the right seats on our bus instead of putting them, in, putting them in a place that they're going to fail or forcing them to use skills or to do things maybe that they don't love doing. And I'm not saying that we don't need to have the skills for things we don't like. We still need to do that. We still need to be backup for that. But if 80% of our job can be fulfilled because we get to do things that we love, the burnout rate drops dramatically. And to me, that's the biggest takeaway is when you create that and you find the right place for our people on our buses, the burnout is so much lower. We keep the people, whether they're credential technicians or doctors, because they love what they do. And when you love what you do, that burnout significantly decreases along with when you are shown for the value that you have, the value you bring to the team, that burnout is, is dramatically less. And as an associate, I, something that came up in the, the last conversation too, is that I, I, associate veterinarians inherently have a little bit more agency in the, you know, the traditional hierarchy of a vet clinic, mm-hmm. um, which isn't really fair. We don't get you know, we, we don't have that leadership training either. And yet we're, we're sort of in a leadership position and oftentimes uncomfortable in it. Um, but we also do, I think, share some of the struggles with technicians in terms of um, feeling a bit powerless if we find out that the culture isn't what we, what we wanted it to be. And, um, you know, with, with technicians in particular, it seems like um, they're not a lot of times, I'm generalizing here, obviously, but from the the friends that I've had, the colleagues that I've met, seems like technicians are not encouraged to speak up for themselves, to advocate for themselves. Um, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts about how how we can sort of try to move that needle a little bit faster, because I think it is moving, but very slowly. <laughs> I do think it's moving. And I think that um, so many times our technicians will come into a practice, um, you know, whether they're just graduating from school or coming from another another hospital. And maybe that onboarding experience is not great. It's, it's scary. We maybe have some intimidation in there. 
And that's the out of the gate, what makes them feel uncomfortable for being able to ask to contribute or ask what goals mm-hmm. are. And so, so many times it starts in that first 90 days of somebody's hired. If they're going to, if it's going to be a right fit, that shoe fits those, that first week. And people are able to kind of find their niche. And I think of this for our veterinarians as well. And um, so that first 90 days makes a huge difference. That's part of that onboarding experience and creating that, that safe zone. But it's the entire team that's responsible for onboarding somebody safely and with excitement and to create that environment then where technicians can say, hey, um, you know, Dr. Smith, may I please provide some feedback or, you know, may I please give you some insight on this patient uh, of, of symptoms they're experiencing or something to that. And even if we just ask permission to share that information, we're opening a conversation versus somebody feeling like we are going to provide them information that is going to belittle them. And and just asking for that permission, I think, softens the conversation so much more. It just it just makes it more open. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really a, a great observation about how that feeling of like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't say anything, that psychological safety of feeling mm-hmm. like you can ask questions and offer a comment that is going to be taken well, even if it's not absolutely correct. Um, That feeling starts so early. And then once, once you've lost that sense, or you've realized that that psychological safety isn't there, it's really, really hard to get that back. Um, It is. And they say, you know, because I look at our human resource forums, that that first 90 days is what makes or breaks an employee. If it's mm -hmm. not a great experience, if that safety is not created, and really, it can be much shorter than that. I think, you know, you you know when you're in a good environment pretty darn quick and yeah. if you're going to be able to survive in it or not. And practices need to make that a priority. And so often, um, you know, it's, it's a culture and leadership piece is that when we have to work to create that, then we don't have enough time to create it. And then it never gets created. Yeah. You know, so fast. It's true. Like I'm picturing all the scenarios where I've been in a new job and been like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what, did, what did I get myself into? And, um, but during a working interview, which a lot of us do, mm-hmm. um, technicians and doctors, it can seem fine. Or I'm making air quotes, like fine, you know? <laughs> and I'm wondering what, so there's two sides to the question really, but what practices and particularly leaders in the practice, um, because they're going to set the tone for how the team interacts during that interview process. Um, how can they convey to an interviewee that they are a place that offers that kind of safety and empowerment and that it's not just like everybody's on their best behavior for a day? <laughs> and then on the other side, it's how does an interviewee pick up on the red flags that maybe that's not the case and know what to ask? Yes. Great, great questions. And I think that it's, it comes back to the values of the hospital. So part of what a leader needs to do when they're interviewing somebody is to talk about the vision of the practice and where we're going and how the team contributes to that and what values are important to us. What values do we expect all of our team members to show up with every day? It might be integrity, accountability, honesty, ethical, compassion, empathy, you know, the, the values that are important, but what defines those, those values. And as a leader, when I'm interviewing people, I may say, these are the values of our hospital. 
please tell me how you feel you would fit in on those values and, and, and give me your definition of them. So when we can at least have an interview conversation about what our values are and what our expectations of team members are, then I'm, I, as a interviewee, want to ask, well, tell me how your team displays these, because that's what I'm going to look for then when I come for a working interview. And, and in my opinion, a working interview goes two ways. It is, it's somebody interviewing me, but I'm also interviewing to make sure this is a right fit. So I, when I need to ask a lot of questions about, does the team know what the vision is? What is their communication structure like in the practice? How often do they have team meetings? How often do they talk about values and what happens if somebody breaks a value? And when, when I get to learn those things as a candidate in a hospital and I see other people that also know them and also display them, it's probably not just a one day thing. But most of the time in hospitals, practice or uh, team members don't know what that goal is. They don't know what the vision is and many don't have values and therefore there is no accountability structure in place except I told you not to do this or a poor performance review that you've done bad in this last year. So I think it's asking those questions to understand what the process is with leadership when you have the leadership interview. And when you're doing a team interview, then it's asking those same questions of the team members and seeing if that, if those messages are the same. That's a great point. Start with why, right? And And that why really shows, even if people don't know that's what they're seeing, um, they can tell a cohesive team from one that seems splintered. Um, Clients as well can see that. (laughs) It's a feeling feeling that that you can pick up on. It's it's warm or it's cold. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like so many things in life, you know, go towards the warm. Yeah. So I feel a little bit. I think when I think about teams and team leaders, especially listening to this, I can picture them feeling a little bit desperate because they might have just lost a technician and they're like really worried they're going to lose more or um, they are down to the bare minimum of the number of people they can get by with before they have to make major changes. And they're like, what I need to, I can't let anybody leave. Like no one can leave, but they're kind of feeling a little uncomfortable that maybe that why isn't clear or that culture isn't there. And it's not for lack of intention almost, almost ever. It's like just things, life, life is hard. Mm-hmm. And is it ever too late? Like can, can team members and leaders, if they really care and they want to fix a culture that doesn't feel warm, is it ever too late to do that? Can they sit down with authenticity and start that process anytime? It is never too late. It is never too late to do it. And I always think of culture as being like a garden. It Cultivating that garden never stops, right? You have to take care of your soil, fertilize your soil. You have to put your seeds in. You have to water. You have to weed. You got to pull your, um, your vegetables or your fruit off, whatever you may be harvesting. And it's a continuous cycle. And culture is that exact same way in a hospital. We don't, we don't stop working on it. But to say we need to have a reset because our culture is not where it needs to be, and this is a leading problem of why we have high turnover, is absolutely key. And to start with that authenticity, like you said, and being vulnerable, that's the best way to start it. And to just have a conversation with the team and say, we have likely messed up in the past in the way we have led people. We have been more managers than we have been leaders. And therefore, 
let's fix it, but we need to have help and fix it together. So we need your suggestions. What makes a great team? What do you guys see that we need to change? And just listen. Leaders just need to listen and, and listen actively so that they take that information, put away all defensiveness because it's going to be a team that fixes this. And when it's a team that builds it, the people that are involved in that rebuilding of a culture now become emotionally invested in it. And when you have, I think of emotional investment in a practice versus financial investment. When people are financially, they are money invested, right? Our team members don't have the money invested in hospitals, but they can be emotionally invested and committed to the success of this practice when they're given that opportunity. So when they help build something, they get to collaborate then they start holding themselves accountable and each other accountable in a positive way. And I don't mean in in an accountability in a negative way. They say that people are going to put forth their best effort. They're going to be vulnerable and they're going to learn from their mistakes and be humble that they have made a mistake and be able to talk about it. And when you create that, now you're creating that safe environment that we're trying to look for. So if our team is dwindling apart and we are incredibly afraid that that we are going to lose more people, this is the best and easiest way to bring people back in. Now, leaders may have to build trust with those team members because they may be hesitant at first and say, oh, this is just going to be a, a picture show. They're just trying to mm-hmm. keep us. And so this is it's a lot of work on the leadership side to to make this a priority. And you have to make culture a priority. You can't not have it. And that just comes through open team communication, open meetings, open planning, problem solving together to get through to get through those hurdles and, and to achieve the goals. And um, when like I said, when you get team members and they build the trust and they're willing to give it a try, then then they're all in. And then that's where that base starts. And that is um, to me, that's that's the key. And the more people then you get out on the emotional buy inside of that the more credibility the leadership team gets, the easier the culture gets to maintain. But with that is leaders also, I'm a big proponent of coaching sessions that we take. um, We have informal coaching sessions because I always think about performance reviews. We, We save all of the things that we need to correct for the end of the year review. And it's like a year in review that of all the bad things that we have employees have forgot about. And as leaders, we should be, asking for change on behaviors as soon as they happen because the employees are not going to remember that those bad behaviors happen or they're going to be bad behaviors that continue patterns uh, and usually toxic patterns. So as a a leader, it's an informal discussion of having somebody in the exam room saying, hey, you know, can I talk to you about your interaction with Mrs. Smith today? How did that make you feel? And I'm going to coach through that session of maybe ways we could have talked to Mrs. Smith a little bit better but it's not going to come across as I'm asking you to come into my office because you're in trouble, but I'm just catching you on the side and we are having conversation about it. And those coaching sessions are what build trust in employees. Now, when I want to come and have performance reviews or even sit down sessions, now let's focus on what can I do to grow you? How can I, how can we create this a almost a strategic personal planning event And that's going to be our year looking forward instead of our year looking back. And then what are we going to do to grow? How are, how can you help us achieve our vision? How can we achieve your, how, how can we help you achieve your vision? And where do we mend those goals together? 
What CE do we need to make that happen? Um, how are we going to implement those things back in the hospital when you go to CE? Now you're creating buy-in for a team member to go to CE, learn something, and excited they get to come back and implement it instead of just going to CE and then nothing happens. So that's kind of a, a huge summary of, um, of building people and coaching people and keeping people in a nutshell. <laughs> But it sounds fun. Like what you're talking about sounds like so much more fun than being like a chaperone and uh, the the bad parent when, you know, the mean parent um, and just like scolding people for doing the wrong thing. It's helping to make it's it's no different in changing behavior than than in helping animals. You know, we're all animals, like yes. you reward the good behavior. And um, and I feel like and that immediate feedback is so important. Um for all of us as animals, I, I feel that so deeply that um, that sense of the performance review is not being something to dread, but being something to look forward to, because it's like, well, this is going to be about me and my future and how I can grow and contribute to the practice. Yes. Um, and, and that's and exciting. In, and in practices currently, leaders hate giving performance reviews. Yeah. They they're awful. And then they <laughs> never do it. And employees dread having employee reviews because they know that they're going to be beat down and walk away with bad things, or they're not going to have any constructive feedback except, oh, yeah, you're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Well, it doesn't help me grow as an employee either. Great that you think I'm doing good, but what? What's next? Like, I'm, yeah. or I'm going to stall out. I'm going to plateau. And so this prevents people from plateauing. Practice managers enjoy giving those, those, strategic planning sessions, team members look forward to it. Now we're all achieving goals together. And to me, that's, that's the, the, the icing on the cake to keep our, our team members with us. Do you think all team members, in, like, even if they don't realize it, want to grow? Or do you think that there are some team members who want to do their job really well and they just want to keep doing that job really well? I do think that there are some that are happy with status quo, that they that they don't want to maybe take it to the next level. I think of veterinary assistants that are completely happy being a veterinary assistant that don't want to take it to the, the next credentialing level. Or maybe you have some credential technicians that are in level one or two. And they don't necessarily want to get to level three. They love what they're doing as an exam room assistant and really building those connections with clients. And that's okay but it doesn't mean that we can't get better at those skills that we love to do also. And so my role as a leader is say, okay, um, I understand you don't want to start doing the advanced monitoring and surgery, and I can fully appreciate that. So how can we continue to grow our exam room experience and make that an, an amazing experience for those clients that are coming in? And how can we have clients always ask for you when they are coming in for their appointments? So I think there's still ways to grow people without giving them additional skills or CE that they need to do, but I can still grow them and find their passion and harness that passion to help them love what they do so they don't burn out. Just like what you were saying about technician utilization, the, the, just the question um, makes people feel invested in and important. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, um, I think about a, one of my, uh, a fellow technician that she was really good in surgery. She loved what she did in surgery. She loved, she was great in the exam room. She was great with dentistry, but one of the hardest things for her were the sounds of the drills. 
and you would put her in an orthopedic surgery and the drills would make her just turn pale white. And you could see her having a really hard time. She's struggling. She didn't have that struggle in general surgery. Um, and so just by asking, what's wrong? How, what, what can I do to help you? You don't look well today. And when she finally said, the drills are really hard for me. The drills in orthopedic surgery are really hard. The drills for dentistry are really hard for me. They make me nauseous. Oh, okay. Well, then we, it's okay. Let's pull you out of those surgeries. We know that if, if we have to have you, that we'll figure it out. But that doesn't mean you have to be the first lead on that. There are so many other things that you can be leading while we're in orthopedic surgery or if we're going to have to, um, you know, cut some teeth in half. We'll still figure that out. It's okay that that is a that that is really hard for you. And when we provide that respect for them, but we find another area that they are champions of, it's a win-win situation for us. With so many times, we are set on you have to do this, and this is the only thing you can do, and you have to do it well. Mm. And then we set people up for failure. Both on we set leadership up for failure in that way. We set those team members up for failure as well. It's a give and take. It's like it's kind of like a tree. You know, you have branches that blow in the wind and, and we're going to, we're going to, you know, go up and down just a little bit. It's okay. This AHA podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit understands that all veterinary teams are busier than ever. To help patients get the care they need, the Care Credit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere on their own smart device. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on that smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs, whether it be a general, referring, or specialty hospital, as long as they accept the Care Credit credit card. That's so, so true. And as a doctor who didn't particularly enjoy surgery, like I was fine with like spays and neuters and little mass removals and stuff, but I never wanted to learn anything like super major um, because it just wasn't my thing. I was better at exam room communication and medicine cases. Um, And it was a big relief to get to a practice where they were okay with that. Um, And, you know, first let me cut back on certain things and then let me eventually say like, I don't know that I really need to do this anymore. In fact, it was a big, it was an advantage because we had too many doctors and not enough surgery days. And so I could just mm-hmm. give someone else my surgery day and they were happy. Yeah. Um, and, but I also have been in places of di- a few places where people have drawn those boundaries and said, you know what, this is, this isn't good for me, or I, I can't do this. And they were given that respect, taken out of that situation. And, treated very respectfully to their faces. And then the The behind behind. the scenes. Yeah. And it wouldn't even necessarily have to be ramifications. It was just like, you know, uh, an offhand comment or like a, you know, I don't know how to do the schedule because she won't go in the room with the drill, you know, that kind of thing. And in front of other staff. And to me, that's, that's so damaging because if you're that staff hearing that, you're like, what are they saying about me? Yes. And I had some serious issues with that in multiple practices that I've been in. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's kind of insidious because you're not going to see that in a working interview. So right. mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, 
for support team members, whether they're associate veterinarians, technicians, assistants, how, if you notice that happening, is there anything that you can do to try to change that culture, especially because a lot of this is usually coming from the leadership team? Yes. And I think this comes back to, do you have a safe space to be able to do it? But I would go to our leadership member that has said that uh, and say, um, hi, um, Katie, I, I have some suggestions from some observations I've had recently on the floor in the impact it has had on team members. Would you be open to listening to some, some of the things that I've seen, some of my observations and, and, and how it's helped had, how it, has had a negative impact on, on our team. I would ask for that permission first, because they're not going to tell you no, but you're setting that right. stage. And then I would say, you know, this is, this is what I have heard you say, and I really want to tell you how it, it has, is it's taken Natalie down a couple of levels where she doesn't feel invested in the team and that she's her trust with our hospital has really dropped and I'm really worried about her and I'm really worried how that's going to impact her. But I wanted to let you know that I think if we can handle it maybe in a better way as a leader, we can save her. Something to that aspect. I think so many times we say things subconsciously, don't realize we've said it or how we've said it and the tone of voice that has said yeah. it or who's around and hears us. And the, in, in safe places, we need an accountability partner that can come to us and call us on those actions in the moment. Much like myself as a leader, if I hear somebody having a bad day, I hear that their tone of voice has changed with the client, I'm going to go talk to them right then so that I can help them get better and realize that the way they came across to that client or that team member was, didn't, wasn't the best. And it probably wasn't the way they intended it, but that's what happened. And so let me help you get better at that. And it's the same when we have to lead up. I call it leading up. We have to lead up our leadership and, and help them get better too. There's going to be some that are willing to take that constructive criticism and we'll do something with it. There's others that are not. Um, and so when we are associates, we're um, technicians, we're veterinary assistants in a hospital. It's scary to take that leap of faith and to try it. But if it's not a right fit, it's not a right fit. And that might be our indicator that I need to find a hospital that is going to be a better fit for me. Again, that we have values. And another conversation I'd have with our leadership is if values were displayed during an interview and then it's broken by a situation like this, I would, I would wrap it back and say one of our values for our hospital is integrity and honesty. And I feel that that's been broken. Um, yeah. And, it, and if that's... If it's not taken well, then that tells you a lot, um, especially if you lead into it like that. That asking for permission is so key. I'm really glad that you said that because that's not something I always do. <laughs> Can note to self. Um, and people are maybe not always in the right place to hear it. So they that gives mm -hmm. them an opening to say, yes, I, I definitely want to hear what you have to say, but I'm, maybe, I'm in a... Maybe yeah, in a maybe, couple can hours. We, yeah. Can we talk, you know, at the end of the day, because I am super stressed right now or I'm dealing with Mrs. Smith, who's upset in room three. It's like not a good idea to just like spring it. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. and, and the other piece that I have for both leaders and potential leaders in the hospital or associates that want to be able to help address these things is we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror first. 
What am I displaying? What behaviors am I displaying? What is my tone of voice like? Because I can't make corrections for others if I'm displaying those behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so many times when I see a team that is, um, is, is struggling, is, a, you know, is procrastinators or is making excuses, or when I see the behaviors I don't want to see in a team, I often look at leadership because they're the ones demonstrating the behaviors that their team follows. And so as leaders, one of the first things that we have to do, even before we try to correct that culture, is let's take a look at ourselves. Let's, let's see what we are doing in the mirror and what can we do to first work on ourselves before we start working on our team? Because the team is likely carrying out those behaviors, good or bad, in a positive or negative way. Yeah, so true. I think there are a lot of people who sort of get branded as not great employees and um, maybe they aren't doing a fantastic job at that time, but there are a lot of factors contributing to that, whether mm -hmm. it's that they're acting a little bit toxic or they're maybe not living up to what they would, what would actually be their potential as employees. Yes. And so much of that can start with the culture. And um, it's really, it's upsetting to see that. And I've lost so many friends, um, technician friends, who have just left because they're, I remember one saying, I'm basically a volunteer when she left. And she was one of the best technicians that I've ever worked with. Um, I, it was over a decade ago now. And I, um, I still think about that because she really was, and she was not um, given the, the respect that her credentials deserved and mm -hmm. wasn't allowed to use them to, um, to the top of her ability. And that brings me to technician utilization, which, um, we're going to get into more on other podcasts, I'm sure, um, because this is so this is going to come out um, later this year. And you were one of the co-chairs of our technician utilization guidelines, which is super exciting. Very first tech utilization guidelines that AHA's ever made. Um, and I'm just wondering a little bit before we close out, I was just wondering a little bit about how that experience was for you, um, what it means to you to be able to to be part of guidelines like this, which I feel like are much needed. And I also have one follow up question about the name of the guidelines. So we'll get to in a minute. Okay. Um, the experience of writing with my colleagues on on our utilization guidelines was amazing. It was collaborative. It was it was enthusiastic. It had so much passion. It had so much content and trying to scale down the content to put yeah. it into digestible format was probably the hardest part. There are so many usable tools in it to be able to implement. And one of our biggest goals out of creating that document was we can talk utilization all day and, and how to be efficient in the hospital and ways to be efficient and ways to assess your practice. But the harder part is getting from talking about it to making it happen and making that shift happen and getting your entire team on board in order to get technician utilization. There's going to be roadblocks. Absolutely. There's going to be hurdles that you have to overcome. There's going to be training that you have to do. There's going to be gaps that you're going to find, but that's all easy. That those are things that you can put in place. You can fix, you can get your team into that maximal utilization. And it's definitely credential technician utilization, but it's also utilizing the veterinary assistants to their fullest skill as well and ways that they can help make everybody else efficient. But it's also the receptionist team and making sure that they're fully utilized because it's a reception team that sets up the medical team for success 
And then the medical team sets up the receptionist for success, ultimately leading to the best patient care and decreasing that barrier we have to patient care. And so the more efficient we can get, even if we are saving just three minutes on an exam uh, in the exam room, but we are saving five minutes through technology and being efficient in the hospital overall, now we have eight minutes saved that at the end of the day, we probably get to see three or four or five more clients in a day because we are efficient. And the key with it is when you're efficient and you're working together as a collaborative team instead of against each other, the team doesn't get burned out. Maybe you're adding in five more clients in a day. That's why we came here for our patient care. But we don't feel exhausted at the end of the day because everything flowed so well. And that is, to me, that's the success. People still get, a, still get out on time. They get to have their lunch breaks. We don't feel like we're running around like with our heads cut off. <laughs> yes. we, I'm having anxiety just thinking about it. <laughs> we, get to, we get to do the things we love. And, and at the end of the day, we, we still all leave happy and as if we're a family union. And, and to me, that is the most rewarding part of it. So it was really fun writing those guidelines it's fun putting those tools in there that practices can utilize, assess themselves. There's um, examples of a gap analysis in there to identify where you're at today, how to get to that future. It is doing SMART goals with your team. It's doing the self-assessment, who's doing what in the hospital. So completely useful tools as a sneak peek to be able to utilize and implement efficiency out of the gate. I love it. Um, and the, the anxiety I was feeling when you were talking was thinking about all the, the times when I didn't have that support as a veterinarian. You know, mm-hmm. the technicians that I worked with at my last job were so capable. We had, I think, 13 credentialed technicians between two um, hospitals. And they were, I mean, they're the bomb. And, but it would, what really stressed me out was the days when I would get out of the room and there was no one you know, for whatever reason, they were all helping another doctor, or we were short staffed that day or whatever. And suddenly, I was like, Oh, gosh, so I have three rooms here, I have to like read this ear cytology and somehow get blood on the patient and make sure that the client gets this information and then get into the next room before that client throws a fit about me being late. And it was like all the things and none of them were doctor things. You know, they were all things that a technician probably would have done better than me. (laughs) Um, And there just wasn't anybody to do it for whatever reason. And that was the stuff that stressed me out and made my adrenaline just like stay high a lot of the day. It wasn't the decisions. It wasn't the client. It, for the most part, was feeling like I had 12 things to do before and three rooms to do them in um, mm-hmm. all at once, for instance. Yeah. And um, that, that adrenaline kick can be alleviated because technicians can do all of that stuff. And like I said, probably better in a lot of cases than I can. Like clients don't want me drawing blood in the room. I'm not right. the one you want drawing your blood. So it was... Um, it was definitely enlightening to work with so many capable technicians. And that taught me a lot because the technicians left that practice like any practice, but they didn't leave because they couldn't do enough. And that was very, very important. Um, eye-opening. I'd never worked with that many since vet school. So wow. shout out to Shiloh Veterinary Hospital. <laughs> yeah. You know, and when, when doctors can diagnose, prescribe and do surgery, like if those are your yeah. key, three key things and you have a skilled 
team that is able to do all the other things, client education, reading your cytologies, and really you have somebody as an air traffic controller and you yeah. get to go from one room to the next, but your air traffic controller says, all right, this lab, this cytology is up for you to take a quick glance. We can yep. see yeast on it. Um, would you confirm? And we also have, you know, what we know you recommend. Here's, you know, say Otomax in our ear cleaner. If this is what you want, um, it's ready. We can put labels on it. So when you have somebody that directs all of that for you, now you feel confident that you can go to the next room because things aren't going to get forgotten. And yeah. you love your job. Your medical records get done. You still have great client interactions for the short time you're in there and, and the clients value that. There's, there's just so much up to, to utilizing the technicians to their maximal capacity. And, and it makes everybody happy. At the end of the day, our patients win. Mic drop. I think that's, that's the bottom line for sure. And that's, that's a good place for us to wrap up. Um, the technician utilization guidelines are, um, are out. Well, they will be out by the time this airs, um, in October of 2023. And I cannot wait for that. And we'll be spending most of October featuring technicians on the podcast and technicians in trends and technicians in Newstat. And we try to do that anyway, but October definitely is a month where I feel like we really want to make sure people are hearing the right voices and understanding um, the technician perspective. So I really appreciate you sharing yours today, Heather. Super exciting. Thank you so much. I, uh, I just appreciate you taking the opportunity and, and for me to be able to be here for our, uh, our, our redo or additional recording. I know. I'm so glad this worked out. And you're 25 minutes away from me right now. So hopefully yeah. I'll get to see you in person this weekend at AVMA yeah. convention. But um, Heather Prendergast, again, thanks so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. Um, support your technicians. <laughs> Let us know if you have um, thoughts or feedback on the technician guidelines. Um, you can email me at podcast at aha.org. Um, we're just super excited and we hope everybody loves them as much as we do. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.